Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then history buffs and historians ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Brett Menard, and this is the 493rd show of ROI. Our guests for today's show are Dr. Jennifer Miller and Dr. Yaming Wang, postdoctoral researchers at the Department of Archaeology at the Max Planck Institute for Geoanthropology in Germany, who are going to talk about ostrich eggshell beads reveal 50,000-year-old social network across Africa. Joining us for the second segment of the show will be history buffs Ed Broder and Rick Sweet. To begin, welcome to the show, Jennifer and Yaming. Thanks, Thanks so you. much. We're very excited to be here. Excellent. So we call this first segment of the show Farouk Dinarin, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So can you start us off with basic information on what was going on with humans in Africa 50,000 years ago? Well, 50,000 years ago is actually a really interesting time for human evolution in Africa. And uh, about this time worldwide, we start to see a lot of the traits that we consider to be complex social behaviors start to emerge. And they come a little bit earlier in Africa. And so we are looking specifically at the emergence of standardized ornaments for social communication. And those first appear, standardized ones, in Eastern Africa about 50,000 years ago. So what would uh, these ornaments be used for, as best as you can tell? Well, it seems that the evolution of ornaments in general is unique to our species. Uh, it's one of the things that sets us apart in the animal kingdom. And some ideas for why these traits emerged are that we were having more dense populations and more people we had to interact with. Wearing ornaments is actually a very effective way to communicate. Um, and we do it every day. We read and transmit messages without even realizing we're do so. So if you think about what you're wearing right now, it probably seems, well, I'm not wearing any symbols. You know, I'm not wearing a hockey jersey with a team's logo. But even so, everything that you're wearing is giving off some kind of message. For example, if someone is wearing a ring on their ring finger of their left hand in North America, that indicates that they are married or engaged and possibly not available for uh, romantic overtures. If someone is wearing flashy diamond earrings, uh, it might suggest that they are affluent, wealthy, and wanted to you know, be treated in a slightly different manner than somebody who is not wearing them. So this you know, communication by just wearing these things started at a time when social interactions were getting a little more complex. We might have been having um, the emergence of wealth or social stratification, emerging permanent social roles that required different interactions with different people. And that's one of the exciting parts of what's happening around 50,000 years ago in Africa and across the world. So that's interesting. Uh, I know that uh, when I'm talking to my uh, junior high and high school students, the uh, general idea they have is that it's hard for 
social stratification to take place outside of, you know, permanent agricultural settlements. Is that yeah, that's, that's absolutely the case. That's, that's when we see it really take off. But the uh, idea about why ornaments evolved is kind of rooted in a couple of different suggestions, one of which being we might see social stratification starting to emerge, not in a wide scale like we see today or even like we see in the Holocene with the agricultural revolution, but subtle, where people start collecting more than they can use. Um, which today is a, a, a huge part of consumerism. Um, but in the past, it was a much slower transition that happened more gradually. And I imagine that much like today, the further away uh, something was, or uh, the harder it was to get a hold of, the more value was probably associated with it. Uh, that can be the case, certainly. Exotic materials, you know, can be unique and exciting. Um, when you look at stone tool analysis, uh, obsidian is the prized material. This is a volcanic glass that is the, uh, the best stone tool making material available. But there are um, other considerations. So when it comes to making of ornaments, it's not necessarily um, the material it's made of, but it can also be the labor that goes into it and the skill required to produce something beautiful and uh, creating an aesthetic appreciation. And this seems to start to emerge around the last 50 or 100,000 years. So can you tell us, uh, since this is a radio show and podcast rather than a TV show, what these ostrich eggshell beads look like? They look uh, surprisingly like Cheerios. They are these sort of light-colored circular discs, usually about a centimeter in diameter with a central perforation. In the archaeological record, when you're excavating, you tend to find them on their own, uh, and so removed from whatever garment or jewelry item that they were a piece of. But people still do use them today in traditional ways, and so we can get an idea of what they looked like when they were in their completed necklace or beaded garment form. Uh, But yes, essentially, they look like little Cheerios. And with these uh, 50,000-year-old beads, are these things that you have found um, associated with burials or uh, just loose on their own? That's a great question. The 50,000-year-old ones, it is very rare to have a burial from that sort of antiquity. Um, So in most cases, no, they're not found in any kind of association at that age. You start to see that getting much closer into the Holocene, maybe in the 12,000-year mark, you start seeing intact burials, and they might have some indication of how these beads were placed. Certainly by the time you get to the spread of food production in Eastern Africa, you have intact burials where you can even see how they were strung together, you know, across the neck or across the waist. But at 50,000, it's all just our best guess. Fascinating. Well, we have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. Catch up on your favorite SAU-produced podcasts by going to KALA Radio at SoundCloud now. At a time when misinformation is all too common on social media, 
We take great pride in bringing you the news that matters, that impacts your family, news you can trust. Local broadcast journalists bring you the facts, covering the stories breaking in our community and across the globe. Text RADIO to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on local journalism. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Brett Menard, and this is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guests for today are Dr. Jennifer Miller and Dr. Yuming Wang, postdoctoral researchers in the Department of Archaeology at the Max Planck Institute for Geoanthropology in Germany. And we're talking today about uh, how ostrich eggshell beads reveal 50,000-year-old social networks across Africa. Our history buffs for today's show are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. And Ed, you get to start us off. Thanks, Brett. Um, Can the two of you tell us a little bit about the societies uh, in which these beads were used? Uh, Were they nomadic? Um, Did they hunt the ostriches? Or Because an ostrich can be a fairly intimidating beast, uh, if you've got Stone Age stuff to kill them with. Um, but uh, did, do you think that they just found ostrich eggs after the chicks had hatched? Or can you can you fill us in on this a little? Well, that is an excellent question. These people would almost certainly be nomadic and following seasonal food sources. Um, there is no indication that they were hunting the ostriches. As you said, ostriches are formidable. They are about six feet tall. They can weigh 200 pounds. They have sharp talons and incredibly strong legs. These are not beasts that you would want to try to tangle with just to access their eggs. Uh, if you want to hunt animals, you know, there, there are certainly ones that would be less dangerous to people. And so it, it seems likely that people would have just searched for ostrich nests that had been abandoned. Now, ostriches will live in a community of hens, and they will all lay their eggs communally in one nest. So one nest can contain, you know, a a few eggs up to maybe 20. And so by the time the chicks hatch, some eggs haven't hatched just by happenstance, and there is then a wealth of bead-making material that can be collected by someone with virtually no skill or danger. And so it seems very likely, although we don't have proof, that that is how the eggs were collected. That's certainly the way that I would do it if I was living back then. Yeah, but ostrich meat is so good. I've had it. It didn't need to take a back seat to anything. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure it is delicious. Have you tried an ostrich egg? You know, they're about the size of 22 chicken eggs. And so I'm curious. I'd love to try one one day. Well, I don't even eat chicken eggs. so <laughs> I, I know there's a uh, restaurant somewhere in Iowa that does uh, ostrich egg omelets. Um, so... Next time you're back in the States, you, you'll have to try and track one down and cross that off your culinary uh, list. I'll give it a try. <laughs> Excellent. Rick? Yeah, I'm curious. Um, 
the apparently eggshell beads uh, were they the bling? You know, we've got our diamonds and rubies, whatever. Did have you uh, determined whether or not these things were the high end? You know, instead of having a Mercedes, they had eggshell beads. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting, and I think a lot more of this is involved in the labor rather than the the having of the beads themselves. So when you see a completed garment from the ethnographic present that people have been making, continue to make in the last hundred years, it is absolutely stunning. There may be 10,000 ostrich eggshell beads, and that is certainly more impactful. That is the Mercedes, um, you know, compared to having three beads strung together, um, which is a lot less impactful. So I don't think it's necessarily the material itself, but rather everything else surrounding that, how it's displayed, um, and, and the amount of time that is taken away from other survival-related activities to go towards making this thing that's purely ornamental just for visual display. But that's a great question. So how far away from the uh, natural range of ostriches have you found these beads? This is a tricky question. While we have kind of estimates for the range of ostriches, uh, they're based mostly on present-day estimates. So we don't know exactly in the past where these boundaries would have been. Ostrich eggs, fossilized versions, have been found into um, Asia, you know, Russia, China. And so we know that ostriches did have a pretty vast range, even if it was much more restricted in historic times when their presence was recorded on the landscape. One interesting um, line of, of inquiry is able to trace the origin place of ostrich eggs in comparison to where they were deposited. So this is using strontium isotopes, and some researchers have done this and found that a single ostrich egg from 30,000 years ago traveled more than 200 kilometers. It's unclear whether this was carried by individual people and deposited or whether it passed hands along a trade network. But at the very least, we know that these things were moving some good distance in the past. And hopefully, future work over the next 20 or 20 years will be able to reveal more about how these things moved between people on the landscape. Okay, Ed. Yeah, can you tell us... Um um, if if, uh, if these beads were worn uh, by everyone in a particular group or were they, um, you know, more preferred by one gender or the other? It's a really fascinating question. And frankly, we just don't know enough about what was going on 30, 40, 50,000 years ago to say if, if they even had these distinctions between gendered roles in society. Uh, so at the moment, we don't really know whether these were men's, women's, children ornaments only worn during um, you know, times of menstruation, only worn by uh, pregnant women, only worn by children up until the age of sexual maturity. Um, there's a lot of possibilities. And so it, you know, everything is wide open right now as to who wore these, uh, and what specific meanings they had in each of these Stone Age societies. And what kind of evidence would you have to see 
or would come upon in order to determine whether they were worn by one gender or another or everyone? Would you need organic would you need organic material that is probably long since decomposed? You know, there's a couple of ways that you could get at this. Uh, I think all of them kind of involve the molecular methods that are coming of age these days. So ancient DNA and proteomic analyses, something where you could target uh, if there was any remaining DNA from the person who wore it. And then you could look, you know, if you're able to sequence it for Y chromosome, and that would suggest that it was from um, what we might call biological male, uh, although the, the boundaries are a bit fluid. So uh, that would be one way to get at it. Another would be to look at the more recent archaeological record and uh, estimate the sexes of the people in the burials using various osteological methods. You can, using various markers on the skull and on the pelvis, get a kind of estimate. Um, and gender is a very fluid term these days, as is sexual identity. And so we have to be cautious to not put today's ideas back into the past. Um, but I think there are ways forward in this. And I think they're tricky. Um, but hopefully that's something that we will be able to answer in the future. Okay, Rick. Jennifer, uh, and Ming, I, uh, I'm, uh, I've spent a lot of time in the field doing uh, uh, research, but it's for only rocks. It's not for, you know, uh, social networks and what have you. But I was just wondering, how were these beads found? Uh, what what process was going on that that somebody or several people went out and found these beads and said, wait a minute, this shows uh, a social network has been created. Where were they found? Uh, so the beads are found, they can be found on the surface on archaeological surveys, but the majority of the well-dated ones are found during excavation. So as you're carefully removing the sediment and recording the three-dimensional locations of things, you put the additional material through a sieve and collect anything that you might have missed. And that's where a lot of these beads tend to be found, as they're often under 10 millimeters in diameter. Uh, I'm afraid I can't convert to, to inches, I'm Canadian. Uh, but they're small. They're small, like, you know, a fingernail kind of size. Uh, and so, you know, most of these are being found completely out of context. And they can be found in archaeological contexts all over Africa, as well as into Asia. And our study is really the first to suggest a social network this vast um, that spans from eastern to southern Africa and extends back to 50,000 years ago. That, that is relatively new um, for ostrich egg shell bead analysis. So you had talked earlier that um, you hypothesized that the value is associated with the time and effort that went into making uh, these beads. How long was it, would it take, and have you tried it yourself? <laughs> and as you stated, it is just my hypothesis that uh, it would be, you know, the investment in time over the material, although some materials are more prized. I have tried making it a little bit. It's, it's somewhat easy to drill the hole. Um, 
I haven't tried as much of the shaping of the outside, but I do know from the ethnographic records that people could make a string about an arm's length long, which would contain a couple hundred beads, and that might take them uh, 10 hours, 10 to 20 hours. So if you're looking on the order of thousands of beads going into a garment, this is a significant investment in time. Um, and so, you know, you can get uh, a marine shell and bring it inland and make a bead out of that, and that is impressive. It is also impressive to think thousands of hours of dedicated labor into, uh, you know, a, a craft project, essentially. And so uh, to me, that is the most um, interesting part over, you know, whether it's made of ostrich or snail or, or marine shell. Okay, Ed. Yeah, if these things were um, an indication of status, um, were they ever used as a, uh, a barter, uh, a means of exchange? Can you, are you able to tell that? Another excellent question. Uh, so they may have been used as signs of status in the past. I can't say for sure. Uh, but in the present, they are still sort of used in trade negotiations between uh, modern societies living in sub-Saharan Africa. So not just as bartering items, although they can be exchanged for you know items made out of iron or metal, um, they are often given as trade gifts in a very specific form of reciprocity called Haro, which exists among traditional communities in the Kalahari, where it, it's to maintain these relationships with people who you might need to call upon in times of stress. And so to signal your good intentions, uh, you would do, engage in this trade gifting where you would just offer uh, these, these items. And these items tend to be made from ostrich eggshell beads. In fact, in some areas, the word Haro is synonymous with items made from ostrich eggshell beads. So there is a very deep connection here between these beads and people in sub-Saharan Africa and the exchanges that were happening over the last, hopefully, 50,000 years. Okay, Rick. All right. Uh, I'm just curious again, the, the context in which these beads were found. You mentioned in the introduction that... Uh, uh, burial uh, uh, sites uh, only go back maybe to 10, 12,000 years ago. Um, what in that 10, 12,000 year old burial context uh, have you uh, found any of these these beads? Well, I should I should be specific here. Burial are found from our species and from sister human species older than that. Um, okay. the, the preservation of these is not quite as good as it is from the more recent context, as you can imagine. And so in these older versions, we don't tend to see evidence of clothing or uh, grave goods or something small and delicate like beads. So it's tough to say whether they were, were present in these burials and have just since migrated or degraded away. Um, in the more recent burials, uh, I, I don't study this period, so I haven't been involved in them, but I know that they are finding, um, especially in the early herding sites, about 5,000 years before present in the Turkana region of Kenya, um, they are finding fully intact burials 
uh, of people who, um, you know, are all buried with this wealth of decorative material, some of which are ostrich eggshell beads, some are hippo tusks, uh, some are, you know, carved stone beads. Uh, and so it, it seems likely that that practice would have extended farther into the past. How long? We can't be certain. But it's also important to keep in mind that when uh, an individual is interred with these items, the wealth is then removed from circulation in society. So it is uh, essentially throwing that wealth away um, and, and it's then gone. So there needs to be such a surplus by that time, um, or perhaps some kind of very sentimental meaning for the person for that to happen. And that we just don't know how far in the past that might have gone. Uh, 50,000 years might be a stretch for that. And so it's, it's unclear whether we will ever have good enough preservation to find, you know, a 50,000, 100,000 year old burial that has these delicate little things intact. Um, by the way, I should note that I was also on the project that found the uh, earliest human burial in Africa, which is 78,000 years ago. So there are older burials, um, but they don't tend to have at least well-associated ornaments with them. It is customary that we give our guests the last word on the show. So Jennifer and Yaming, in about two and a half minutes, why do you think knowing about ancient trade routes in Africa is relevant in today's world? Well, um, you know, humans are arguably the most successful species on the planet. We have a sophisticated culture that allows us to live in any region of the world, in any climate, in dense populations. But uh, this incredible uniqueness is also creating human-induced problems and pushing the limits of our resilience. It's creating economic inequalities, xenophobia, climate change. Archaeology can be used to look back at when and why these unique traits, like the use of symbolic ornaments, developed, and look at how our ancestors tackled similar problems in the past to give us clues about how to move forward in the future. Yeah, and especially now we're um, at this uh, point, a human has modified our environment so so drastically, and our uh, climate change is inevitably is going to uh, shape, um, shape our behavior and the culture in the future. So I think this this study is just um, really um, give us a clue how climate uh, push and pull uh, mechanisms has shaped our um, social, like human social, um, in social culture in the past. Excellent. Well, when we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. 
ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 493rd show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zap Zapdel. My name is Brett Menard. We'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Jennifer Miller and Dr. Yuming Wang, postdoctoral researchers in the Department of Archaeology at the Max Planck Institute for Geoanthropology in Germany, who talked to us today about ostrich eggshell beads reveal 50,000-year-old social network across Africa. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. This is Relevant or Irrelevant on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would, we would like to wish all listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotsa Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.